Everybody awake? Everybody healthy? You too, Sophia? She's just here. Today we're going to continue our series of talking about contagious hope and how we as believers, as children of God, possess within us a hope that is given to us supernaturally, that as we express this hope to the world, they will find Christ in us. And hopefully they'll hear from our voices and from our lifestyle as we live ourselves, as we live in the world. They'll see that hope and it will draw all men to, to himself. Our goal is not to draw, draw people to us as individuals. Our goal is not to draw people to our church. Our goal is not to draw people to our community. Our goal is to draw people to Jesus. And when we express the hope that is within us, not in our, not hope that we have within ourselves, but the hope that we have from Christ. See, as we learn to embrace Christ, you learn to embrace the presence of Christ in your everyday life, hope becomes a natural part of who you are. And that becomes contagious, like a virus. Like the virus we've all been experiencing in the past months. But the virus we get from Christ is a joyful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's one that we can express and desire to share with all those around us. You ever felt at times that you're on a roller coaster? That sometimes life is a roller coaster? Up and down, up and down, around and around and around. Especially like these rickety ones. The ones that get on, you ever got on those wooden roller coasters? I love them and I hate them at the same time. They're so cool, you kind of feel like you're kind of flying through the, with all the woods like flying past your head, those years are going around and around and you, I always feel like they got those beams right above my head. And if Jonathan was here today, he's like six foot 10, I would not want to be Jonathan going on one of those roller coasters. He'd have to be ducking down. I want to duck in him, man, I'm only six foot. Add another 10 inches to me, there's no way I'd be wanting to go on those wooden roller coasters. I for sure would have a mark right here. Or many marks right there. Maybe my head would be flipped back, I don't know. But I would not. But sometimes life feels that way, right? You're on the roller coaster, up and down, up and down, around and around, twists and turns every which way you go. And we never know which way is going to come next. Maybe you hope to get that job, and that was your hope. I'm gonna get that job, I'm gonna get that job, or I'm gonna get that promotion. And then you missed out. Maybe you hope to get a scholarship for school only to find out that you were rejected. Maybe you hope to see your kids avoid some of the same mistakes that you made and other kids are making around you only to have your heart broken by your kids. Maybe you hope to get pregnant only to find that you've miscarried again or something's happened to the baby. You hope that the cancer screening would become back negative, only to find out that it was not, and that it returned. In life, as we experience it, there are lots and lots of ups and downs. Lots and lots of ups and downs. And we never know which way it's going to go. And that's why it's important that we place our hope, our true hope, in that which is secure. You place your hope in people, you can place your hope in jobs and in your finances, place your hope in your own health. 
Those things can always let you down. But when you place your hope in the person of Jesus and what he has come to do, allow him to give you hope to push through those other things, through those other disappointments, you find a strength that is there that the world finds different, that the world finds surprising. Because the strength that comes from Jesus and the hope you place in him is different from the hope that people place in the world and the world situation. We're going to look this morning in Luke chapter 24 at the story of the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Now think of this. Jesus has just been walking with his disciples for three years. He's been teaching him, performing miracles. And the disciples in general, all those followers, the 12 that followed him regularly, and also the others that walked with him as he went different places, they've been placing a hope in him. And as these disciples are walking on the way to Emmaus, discussing the events that had just taken place, how Jesus had entered into Jerusalem, he'd come on the back of a donkey, he confronted the Pharisees and the religious leaders, he'd been arrested, crucified, buried, and now a report has come out on this Sunday, this Easter Sunday, a report has come out that Jesus is no longer in his tomb, that he's been resurrected. But as of yet, there's been no real evidence that the women went to the tomb and they saw, they said they saw Jesus. One of them said they saw Jesus. They saw the empty tomb. James and Peter and John rather ran to the tomb and found it empty. They found the headcloth folded up and laid in place. But nobody as of yet had seen Jesus, except for the one testimony of Mary. So here in, Mark, in Luke chapter 24, these disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus. And follow along with me in your Bibles if you have it there. It says, on that very day, this is Sunday, Easter Sunday, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had just happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still and, 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 and kind of sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have just happened these days? I mean, to them, this is, everybody's been talking about it. And, these, and they're like, what is wrong with you? Are you the only one around that has not heard what's been going on? In verse 19, and he said to them, what things? And they said, the concerning Jesus of Nazareth, of course. A man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified and the key verse here is verse 21 it says but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel yes besides all this it is now the third day since these things had happened moreover some of the women of our company amazed us they were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as women had said, but him they didn't see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus appears on the road to Emmaus with his disciples, explaining to them, come alongside to them. And here he is expounding on the scriptures to them. Now we've all been there. We've all had our hopes dashed. We've all had hopes for the future, hopes for our kids, hope for our church, hope for our jobs, hope for family, hope for the future. And we've all had our hopes dashed one way or another. We've all experienced it. What's your response when hopes are dashed? What's your response when what you expected to happen does not come through? There's disappointment, discouragement, maybe a little bit of sadness and self-doubt. Man, maybe my skills are just not adding up to what needs to happen here. I didn't get that promotion because I didn't have that degree or I didn't get that promotion because I didn't fulfill my job function well enough. I couldn't complete school because I just couldn't cut it. My kids have wandered away from their faith or they're making unwise choices. Maybe as a parent or a grandparent, I'm just, I just don't have what it takes. And Satan would like us to be discouraged and frustrated and angry with ourselves and just wallow in self-pity. He rejoices when that happens. Satan's just laughing his head off at us when we get discouraged and when we get frustrated with ourselves. That's exactly where he wants us to be. Because when you find yourself discouraged, it's hard to press forward. So how do we press forward? You press forward with hope-inspired faith. Hope-inspired faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Hope is the substance of things, faith, I'm sorry, faith is the substance of things hoped for. But where is that hope placed? When hope is in the wrong thing fades, faith can soon exit. That's why it's important we place our hope in that which is solid, firm, the foundation, the cornerstone. So in what or in who is our hope placed? Go back one slide. See, because hope fades when we don't see Jesus in our situation. Hope fades when we don't see Jesus and what's going on around us. Right now in our society, coronavirus, COVID-19, all the other stuff that's going on, it's very easy to find this life and everything, events in this life is just hopelessness. There's no vaccine, there's no treatment, there's no cure. It's gonna go on and on and on and on. And we've placed our hope in our government. We've placed our hope in the CDC. We've placed our hope in a treatment or a cure. We've placed our hope in a mask. We've placed our hope in something else. But when your hope is placed in Jesus, 
It allows you to see events in this world beyond what is in the media, beyond just what is in the news. When your hope is placed in Jesus, you understand that all the events in this world are going according to the plan of God. He is allowing some of these things to take place to challenge us and encourage to challenge us in our faith. So are we going to turn to the government? Are we going to turn to one another? Are we going to turn to him and say, God, draw us, draw you, drive us to our knees and say, God, I don't know what's going on. I, I don't have a faith and a trust in what's the government situations around us, but I'm going to trust that you know how to handle this. I'm going to trust that you have the best, our best needs in light. And I'm going to trust, Father, in you to get me through this. I'm not going to allow fear to control. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to be smart, and I'm going to walk by faith. Because God has everything. As much as we see the world out of control, God has still got it in control. He's still here. His Holy Spirit is still present. Remember a few weeks ago in our sermon series, we're talking about if the Holy Spirit is within you, we have that hope. If the Holy Spirit is within you driving us, that is giving us the power and the, and, and the, and the expression available to be able to communicate that hope to the world. And we ought to be grateful. And that ought to drive us to talk to people about the hope that we have within us. When the Holy Spirit is there. The last thing Jesus did before he ascended into heaven, he says, go to Jerusalem and wait. And I'm going to send the comforter. And that comforter was the Holy Spirit. The disciples went to Jerusalem and they waited and they waited and they waited for 10 days. All of a sudden, the wind came and the fire out of heaven and the Holy Spirit landed on the disciples in that upper room and they went out of that room with power, encouraged by what God had provided for them. See, because they found Jesus in their situation. As we live our lives, we have to see Jesus in each and every one of our situations. As we do, we look at it in light of how God may be directing us. Maybe you lost your job. And that's frustrating. That's discouraging. Because now you've got to go out and try to find a different job. But if you see God in that, directing your life to put you in another job, a better job, one where you can be used by him, it allows the help and discouragement to go away. Maybe you're in an accident and your ability to work was taken away. You're laid up in the hospital for weeks and months. And it's like, well, what am I doing? What am I doing here? Find Jesus in that situation and discover how he wants to use you in spite of your medical condition and the struggles that you have now. I was born with, with a disability. I was born with an inability. We have a friend who was born unable to see colors, purely black and white or shades of gray. And we used to tease him in college. He'd walk, he'd walk into a room and we'd say, oh, Jeremy, do you know that your clothes don't match? I can't believe you wore pink and red. Those socks definitely don't match the rest of your outfit. He's like, really? Really? He said, no, just kidding. He had to find a way for God to use him in spite of that disability that he had to use him in society. He has a, a great ability to be able to see at nighttime 
He has this awesome night vision because of his lack of color. He can be driving down the road. He can spot things out there when he goes hunting. He has a great ability that none of the rest of us have. What is it that God has blessed you with in your circumstance, in your condition? Find Jesus in your situation. See, it was easy for the disciples to have their hopes dashed. Jesus had been crucified and buried. Reports came back of the empty tomb, but no evidence yet. In our relationships, health, finances, if we see Jesus, we understand he is the object of our faith, not those other things. We need to invite him into our valley. In fact, the point is here, we need to experience the Jesus hope. Not the hope that the world gives, not the hope we bring to ourselves to the party, but the experience, the hope that God and Jesus wants to give us. How do we do that, though? What is it that Jesus brought to this discussion with the, the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? How did Jesus bring himself to that party? What is it that they found there? Number one, invite him into our circumstances. As Jesus was on the road, walking, he says he walked up and came near to them, right? He didn't force himself into that dialogue. He didn't force himself into their conversation. He says he came, drew near, and walked with them. And they kept having their conversation. He didn't, he didn't merely just say, hey, let me tell you how wrong you are. He didn't inject himself in. He asked a simple question, what are you discussing? And they're like, what do you mean, what are we discussing? Have you not been around? Are you daft, man? Have you not been around to see all the stuff that's going on this, this week with Jesus of Nazareth? What is up with you? And they began to explain to him their perspective of what they'd experienced. Inviting him into their conversation. And then Jesus said, let me share with you what had to happen from Scripture. Beginning with the law and the prophets, explains to them all that had to happen concerning the Christ. Jesus comes on and doesn't force himself upon them. He could have commanded their attention. Here's the God of the universe walking into their lives. He could have very easily said, listen to me now. But he didn't. It's practically important, people, that we invite Jesus into our struggles. We must invite Jesus into our struggles. We must invite Jesus into our fears. We must invite Jesus into our discouragement. We must invite Jesus into our despair. He wants to be a part of our lives in every area of our lives. You understand that he knows what we're struggling with. He knows the fears that you're experiencing. He knows exactly what your emotions are. There's no secret from God. He knows exactly. So why not invite him in right now to help us face those fears, to face that discouragement, to bring true hope into our lives? See, since he already knows our hopes and our fears and our struggles, your invitation then becomes an act of hope and faith. He's just there waiting to become a part of the conversation. 
And when you reach out and say, Jesus, I need your help. Jesus, come in, into my struggle. That's an act of faith. And if we as believers are to live our lives every single day in faith, no decision in our lives ought to be made apart from faith. Where you go to school, where you work, where you live, how many kids you're going to have, who you're going to marry, who you're going to date, who you're going to let influence you. All of those decisions in life have to be lived out as an act of faith. Not just weighing the pros and cons, not just weighing the odds. Oh, this is a better job over here versus this one. This one, uh, this is a cheaper city to live in versus this one. This person's cuter than this one. Every decision we make is we lived out as an act of faith. And so because Jesus already knows our struggles, because he already knows our fears and our doubts, by inviting him in, that's an act of faith by itself. Kind of the same thing when we ask for forgiveness. You know that if you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you've asked him into your heart, and you're committed to following him every single day of your life from this point forward, that your sins, all of your sins, have already been forgiven. You know that, right? All the sins you committed in the past, all the sins you committed this morning, that's in the past, and all those sins you're gonna commit in the future. They've already been forgiven at the cross. So if that's the case, why then does your pastor and others, why do we say, make sure you're asking forgiveness of your sins? Why do we go to God and say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. It's me again. Keep a short record with God, we say. Why do we go to God and ask forgiveness? Because it's a step of faith that you're admitting to God, I've messed up again, and I realize that, and I need your help in becoming a better person, to becoming a better Christian, becoming a better follower of God, to becoming that righteous, holy example in this world. We're acknowledging to God, I messed up. I'm not yet the person you want me to be. Forgive me. Forgive me for failing. And God says, I've already forgiven you. Thank you for admitting that you forgive And God is right there. But again, when we do that, we're inviting him into that struggle in our lives. And that's right where he is. He wants us to invite him in to our struggle every single day. And that's hard for some people. Because we want to handle it ourselves. Pull ourselves by our own bootstraps. Put on my own suspenders. Hold my own pants up. Tie my belt on. We like to do things ourselves. We don't want to be viewed as vulnerable. And when we ask Jesus to come into our struggle that we can't handle ourselves, we're admitting, I'm not as strong or as powerful as I think I am. I truly am just a weak creation. God, I need your help. And we invite him in. Number two, along with inviting him into our struggle, secondly comes a yielding to him. A yielding, a surrender, a admitting, say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. In verse 28 to 31, 
After Jesus walked with them for a little while, they, the disciples invited him back to their home to eat. Read with me in verse 28 to 31. says, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's, it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. It's almost nighttime. Just come and stay with us. So he went in to stay with him. And when he was at the table, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. Now imagine for a second, you've invited, you've invited Jesus to come. You've invited him into your struggle. You invite him into your house for a meal. Then this Jesus, this rabbi, takes over. He totally takes over at the meal. He takes over the discussion. He takes over the preparation. He takes over the serving. And yet you're the host or the hostess. That's not what's supposed to happen. But yet you recognize that Jesus has the answers. That Jesus has just what you need. And so you let him serve. You let him prepare. And in this situation, at the table, he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. And the disciples' eyes were opened and they realized who it was that had been walking with him all day long. That he had been meeting their need. He had been bringing them up to speed and explaining to them all that needed to happen. And they yielded themselves to him. Something as simple as this at the dinner table. Giving over to him. Letting him serve. Letting him. This rabbi on the road. They realized was Jesus in the midst. Learning to yield to Jesus. Learning to yield to the Holy Spirit that is within us. It's vital. It is vital for us. Because Satan wants us to think that I can do it all myself. Okay, Jesus, I'll invite you in. I'll have my quiet time for 10 or 15 minutes in the morning. I've invited you into my day, but the rest of the day is mine. I've invited you into this moment, Sunday morning from 10 to 11, maybe a Bible study in the evening, or tomorrow or the next day, my quiet time during the week, my prayer time before my meal. Jesus, I'm inviting you in then, but the rest of the time is mine to fix my problem. If we just invite Jesus in, but we don't let him take over, you're missing true power in what he wants to do in us in our lives. When I make pancakes, my family often cringes. Not often, sometimes cringes. And they've gotten to the point now when I'm making pancakes, they come and look over my shoulder and they, they actually look on the counter to see if there's a thing of salt on the, on the counter. You, you, you got four cups of flour, some sugar, you got some baking powder, you got some oil and some eggs and some milk. All those things mixed together, they look Wonderful! You take that batter and you mix it up and you put it on the pan, it comes off. But if you forget that half a teaspoon of salt, something is missing. 
just a half teaspoon. It's like that with Jesus. You can have all the right ingredients, but if you forget to add that yielding part to the equation, something's missing. We have to yield. We have to yield. We have to yield. We have to surrender. Another way to say it. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. Not out of compulsion. I freely surrender myself to Jesus. Because when I do that, that's like adding salt to the pancakes. And then it tastes so much. It tastes just like it should. It's not lacking or missing anything. It tastes just like it should. And when you add Jesus into the mix, when you yield to him, life just seems to go better. Not that the circumstances around you have changed. What's changed? It's your outlook on those circumstances. It's the way you view them in light of the mercies of God. It's the way you see all of the world around you and all the stuff that's going on in light of God's plan in your life and in this world. Just by adding that little component, the surrender, the yield. Romans 15, 13 says it this way, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now that's great. I want to be filled with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound, abound in hope. Overflowing in this hope. When you add Jesus, you add the Holy Spirit, you add this yielding, you add this surrender into the mix. The hope that only God can give us wells up and we abound in that. You're like that sponge. Remember I talked about last week? The North or our, our buddies in the restricted access countries say, yeah, when you use poker crystal, Jesus pops out, right? You become like that sponge. You pick up after it's been sitting in the water for 10 or 15 minutes, and it's just dripping. You don't have to squeeze it. You just pick it up and you've got the little corner, and water's just flowing out of that sponge. When you allow Jesus to come in and you yield to him, you're like that sponge that gets picked up and you abound in the hope that God chooses, that God gives you. You abound with him. What happens when we invite Jesus in and then we yield? Two sides of the coin. What happens when we do that? Lastly, we mentioned this a little bit last week, our grateful witness and testimony follows naturally to this inviting and yielding. As we invite Jesus in and we yield to him, the natural outcome is our thankfulness, our testimony, and our witness of what God has done in our lives and how he is proclaiming, how he is working in us and through us to make us more like himself. It becomes a natural outflow of letting Jesus be in charge. Look at verse 32 through 35. 
as disciples, as these two disciples in the upper room, after Jesus broke the bread and their eyes were opened and he just disappeared. And they talked to one another. Verse 32 says, and they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened up to us the scriptures? They knew something was different. This rabbi that came alongside them on the road, something was different. Didn't our hearts just burn? Wasn't there something within us that just yearned for this man? In verse 33, and they rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Now remember, it was late at night. They had invited Jesus to come to the house with them in Emmaus because it was late at night. It was dinner time. It was not safe for him to be traveling on down the road. But yet these same disciples, they rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. It says that they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. See, when Jesus enters into your circumstances, you can't hold the story in. They were so excited. Prior to that, in the afternoon, they were walking, a little depressed, a little discouraged, a little sad, all because of all the circumstances surrounding Jesus' death and burial. Their hopes had been trashed. And now, their hopelessness had turned to hope because the person of Jesus had been brought into those struggles. They allowed him in, they invited him in, and they yielded to him and listened to him. And now the first thing they want to do is go and tell everybody else to go and encourage them as well. They run back to Jesus. They run back to Jerusalem, rather. And they want to share the story of Jesus. Because when Jesus comes into our lives, and he changes us, the natural thing we want to do is tell others how Jesus has changed us. There's a video I want to show us real quick. It's been a long time since I've showed it here. About how Jesus stepped into people's lives, transformed them, and now they're up in front of their church proclaiming and sharing the changed lives that Jesus has made, the change Jesus has made in their lives. Let's watch this for a minute.
goes on and on and on. What would your Kirkman say? You're struggling. That which brings you hopelessness. Jesus wants to step into the your situation, your circumstance. Fix it to bring hope. So you, like these people on the screen behind me, can proclaim what God has done and the hope he brings into our lives. I encourage you, I know I didn't show the whole thing, it goes on for another five or six minutes. And I'm always just brought to tears when I see people's lives that have been changed and how God has redeemed them to himself. I always brought joy and hope and peace into their lives. Have you embraced Jesus? Have you allowed him to bring hope to you and to others? What would your, what would your piece of cardboard say? What struggle did you have or have you had? Maybe you could only write on the front side and you haven't yet invited Jesus in to be able to fill out the back side. That's okay. But Jesus is there waiting for you to invite him in and to yield to him. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do just that. If you have not yet in your life ever invited Jesus into your life, that's the very first step. So Jesus came to this earth not just to come and live, he came to redeem us back to the Father, back to God, to save us from our sins, to show us a better way, to say there is more to this world than this world. There's more to this life than what you're living right now. He came in to bring us life and life abundantly. But only when you invite him in can you find the true freedom in Christ. And this morning, maybe you've never invited Jesus in to take control. If you're watching online in this room this morning, maybe you've never invited Jesus, truly invited Jesus in to take control of your life. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you have never done that, taken that first step, I want to invite you this morning to repeat this prayer after me. To invite Jesus in, to become your Lord and Savior, to become a follower of Jesus this morning, to take that first step. Have you bowed your heads and close your eyes? If you desire this morning to become that child of God, to submit yourself to him, to invite him in, repeat this prayer right where you're at. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've got so many struggles in my life, I can't even begin to count them. And this morning, I invite you in to take over. Forgive me of my sins, of those things in my life that are not pleasing to you, those thoughts, those actions. I invite you into my life right now. Forgive me. And this morning, God, I yield myself to you. 
I submit myself to you to let you have control of my life, control of every decision I make, control of every thought I think, every word I speak. I give you control. Thank you for dying for me on the cross and for rising again after three days. And the hope that comes with that, I claim this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.